0: Monday's with Millie, a podcast about the past, with real relevance to the present day. I'm your host, Phil Cristofaro, and in this podcast series, I interview my 90-year-old mother-in-law, Doreen, who I affectionately call Millie, about her ordinary life and the extraordinary events which influenced it. Millie has witnessed firsthand some incredible things across 10 decades. This is a personal history which gives us some perspective about life's triumphs and challenges. Welcome to Episode 3, Season 4 of Mondays with Millie. In this episode, we confront the question of racism in the UK during the 1970s. It wasn't just a decade of glitter, acrylic and flares. Britain was struggling with its identity, its economy and a steady stream of immigrants who were just, well, different. Please enjoy this episode of Monday's with
1: Millie. I really love the things that you do my best friend Ooh, you're making me live Ooh, you're my best friend Oh, you're my best friend
0: Well, I think back to British television in the 1970s and you had some very racy... Well, you'd, you'd look at it today and think it was fairly sexist and sometimes a bit racist. I remember watching, we used to watch Love Thy Neighbour and that was, you wouldn't watch that today. You couldn't, it wouldn't be played on television, so.
2: A lot of those we, 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 we can't watch today because they were, they were racist. Uh, but I suppose really we were lucky we didn't come across it very much We didn't get, well, personally, of course, I'd come across people when I was very young because of the medical students that used to come to our house. And when I was at school, there was only one person, uh, a girl, I always remember her name was Dorothy Green. Her father was a doctor uh, and she was the only person in the school. But And then, of course, we moved away to Blackpool. And we didn't really see many people, not for many years. Although in London and, and Manchester, in the cities, of course, there were more and more people coming from the Caribbean and whatnot. And I know they had a bad time. Some of them, you'd see notices in the windows, uh, no 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 blacks. Didn't they even say coloured, no blacks, no dogs, as if, you know. As if they, it was, it was awful, really. And yet they were really hard working people. They'd come here, not to scrounge; they'd come here to work. And they did, of course, you started to see them on the buses, but not where I lived, you see. Not where I lived at all, but we'd, we'd see it on the television that um, these things that were happening, you know, unfairly, very unfairly. Attacks on Asians have been common. This Asian shopkeeper, who spent three years in a Japanese prisoner of war camp after fighting for Britain in the last war, describes the attack.
0: It happened in Ohio, exactly two o'clock. they running down the street about, approximately about 150 or 200 right. like these youths, so you know. All but this the,
2: it was majorly in the cities, uh, mainly in the inner cities, where you you've you got this problem.
0: Do you think that people? were intolerant for any particular reason? Do you think it was a a patriotic (laughs) thing? What what do you think was behind that?
2: No, I think a lot of people were scared for their jobs um, and they didn't understand them. They didn't understand the food they ate, you know, caribbean food and and that sort of thing. Uh, It smelled differently. All sorts of reasons, really. I think they just didn't understand. And, of course, there was this marrying each other. That that wasn't... Uh, that was frowned on at first, you know.
0: What about the rise it, of... There were there some very extreme views out there. What did you see of that? I mean, was it really... It was probably portrayed more on television, I, I'm guessing, or in the news from not so much where you lived, but... What were you aware of in that space?
2: International
0: news, you mean? No, I mean on the on the evening news. They might have had, well, there were riots and all sorts of things going on in London. Oh yes, there were. and and there were. were those you know, were those race based? Were they white supremacy type yes. demonstrations? But pe- people over
2: here were really. Absolutely horrified and disgusted about things like the Ku Klux Klan. You used to see those on the television, and and the way um, people were treated. Where they had to uh, they had to um, sit in a separate part of the bus. Now at that time, my husband's two aunts were living in America with their other sister, and they came back here because they didn't like it. really didn't like it. Uh, And um, Aunt Sally, who was a physiotherapist and had worked in the um, California hospital, um, she said it was absolutely dreadful, the the way the the people were treated. Uh, And the the schools and everything, they were segregated, you know, and cafes, even in a cafe, you, you couldn't sit and mix up with white people. It was dreadful. That would not have happened here. It really would not. I mean, it was bad enough here with the few things that happened, but compared to America, it, it you know it's was just dreadful what was happening in America.
0: What did you make of the fashion in the seventies? Have you still got anything in your wardrobe that you've kept? <laughs> yes, I've
2: I've got I've got a raincoat. <laughs> Probably, yes. I think, yes. Most of the other things have gone to the charity shop now.
0: they would be worth a fortune.
2: (laughs) Yes, it was a a model raincoat.
0: (laughs) Were you a a fan of flares?
2: Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, I I like to keep up with the fashion, especially when I was working in the theatre for that short time. And I had some yellow trousers that I used to wear (laughs) in the theatre. During the day, of course, not in
0: the evening. <laughs> what things changed in this decade compared to the previous decade? So you had a you had a young family, but you had an older child who who'd gone and lived elsewhere, but got married and had a child. What what things changed for you,
2: Christopher? He'd got his scholarship to the to uh, what had been a private school at one time and then um, it, it, it became a direct grant grammar school so you could win a place there and he, he won his scholarship there. We were settled, uh, we had a nice house, a really nice house. Um, Kirsten was very happy at school.
0: Because you'd had that difficulty in the 60s where you had to buy, you'd been in the pub and you'd sort of lost your place in the real estate market and you had to kind of start again
2: yes we we, we didn't have to worry about finances we didn't although I, I mean i was working as well but that was from choice by then rather than uh necessity you know
0: did most women what well, you know would you say the majority of women would find jobs at that during that period or was it still a bit 50 50.
2: Well, there were quite a few of the people who lived around my neighbourhood where the wives didn't go out to work. They were just classed as housewives. Uh, They didn't need to work and they didn't go out to work. Uh, A few of us did. Um, But um, it was the 70s for me, it was a, a very happy time. Apart from the fact that, of course, my father was no longer around. And I missed him. still miss him, really. Hmm. Um, because he'd been such a, you know, he'd just been there all the time. And of course i was very sorry that Kirsten never had any grandparents.
0: What was um, John's work? What did that look like by the time he'd got back to British Aerospace? Was he doing the same sort of work that he'd been doing previously?
2: Yes, he was. He was um, for quite a long time. And then um, they, they started to use um, computers um, to just minimum. And he could see the way things were going. And he said he'd like to get out of design work and do something different. So he, he, he applied for this job and he transferred over to the Saudi support group. And of course they, they they did a lot of they had a big contract with the Saudi arabians and he became the senior protocol officer in the Saudi support group and this entailed him he didn't go over to Saudi Arabia he worked from this end as, the, as they as they came over here he looks after them while they were over here and he I know he enjoyed that job he he used to go off to London quite frequently and meeting important people and escorting them round and whatnot, you know. Um, <laughs> and it's funny, really, because of course he stayed in very good hotels when he was there. And when he'd been away for a few days, and he came home, I didn't realize what I was doing, but both the children did. Uh, I'd say would say what's for dinner, and they would say mince meat, <laughs> because apparently I always gave him mince meat, <laughs> you know, with potatoes and vegetables and that. I always gave him mince steak for his tea, because at the back of my mind was, well, this is how we live. You're not in a posh hotel now, <laughs> eating expensive food. <laughs> It was to bring him down to earth,
0: you know. <laughs> so you you just wanted to keep his his feet on the ground pretty well.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Grab a tea
0: towel as well after the meal, and you know get cracking pretty much. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's your and and you haven't washed up for a week, so it's your turn to wash up. I never had to wash it. I never had a, um, you know, a, an electric machine to do my
0: washing up. (laughs) What sort of interesting things happened through that work? So I know there were a few stories through the years of visitors to the house and and you had some very wealthy Saudi people, um, some members of the royal family come and visit. Was that correct? Uh,
2: Oh yes, yes. Um, There was a John, John wasn't, oh, he, he, he had his appendix out and um, I came home from work, he, he'd come out of hospital and I came home from work and there was this huge limousine outside the house with a chauffeur sat in it and um, I walked in and there was this guy there, Prince somebody or other, was also a general, and he was sat there talking to my husband. And there's a huge bouquet of flowers which filled the window, and an enormous—I still have the box—a uh, pale lilac-coloured velvet box which was full of chocolates, of course, and a large, a large bottle of um, aftershave which was so, really, so effeminate that um, I said. <laughs> I said to John after, you can't possibly wear this. I said, it's it's too feminine, so I, I'll use this up.
0: <laughs> so you stole it?
2: I stole it off him, yes. He did admit it was a bit too a bit too uh, fancy for him. But yes, this guy had just come to see me. He heard he wasn't well, so he came and <laughs> brought all these things for him. But he did get on very well with the Saudi Arabians. And we had one or two visits, and I learned quite a lot uh, about the women, you see, because um, uh, one time this lady came, she was a doctor, and it was the wife of one of the, one of the uh, generals, and he was in meetings. So she came uh, to see us, and um, it was very uh, with her daughter. And it was very interesting listening to her talk about uh, she spoke beautiful English. Uh, she was only allowed to treat women patients, of course. And um, the reason uh, she, she told me that her husband had um, worked for her, her father. And of course, he asked for a hand in marriage and uh, her father had promised her that she would she would help to choose her own husband and she did. And she liked him, of course, she liked him very much, but she said she made a deal before she agreed to marry him. And the deal was that she would finish her education and become a doctor. And although uh, she didn't need to, she did become a doctor and she actually worked as a doctor because that's what she wanted. And I was allowed to ask personal questions and I did ask her, are you the only wife? So some of them had three or four wives. And she said, oh, yes, oh, yes. So I said, do you think it will always remain that way? She said, oh, yes, you see, I spend all his money. And if he takes another wife, she has to be treated equally. All the wives have to be treated equally. So if you don't want your husband to have..." other wives then you make sure you spend a lot of money so he can't
0: really afford all these other wives. Oh wow what an amazing insight and what a what a bit of a pioneer she must have been in her own country to have.
2: Oh yes. You know, quite yes. a
0: strong a strong will and a strong personality because yes. it's still difficult to this day yes. over there for for women isn't it? And yes we once
2: had have two children staying with us for the weekend They were in boarding school here in St. Anne's, and um, we were taking them to meet the parents in London. So um, they stayed with us uh, a couple of nights, and it was a brother and sister, little sister. She was a bit unruly, the little girl, but he was very correct. He would speak to her in Arabic, and just two words, and she would calm down right away, you know. He was the authority and he brought his, brought his own prayer mat and uh, he was a very, very nice boy, actually, very well behaved and uh, yes, we took him down to London. My husband once had a terrible time because he lost a child. Well, you know, to know, lo- to lose a child that belonged to a high ranking Arab was, oh my goodness. And it turned out this child, uh, there were two cars leaving the hotel to go to the airport and it wasn't really his fault. Uh, but he, he felt it was. He, did, he said, I took my eye off the ball and he said, this child, th- there was father in one car and mother in the other car. With, so the children were split up. And of course, they thought the little boy was in was in the other car, you see. When they got to the airport, of course, he was missing. Um but my in the meantime, my father had gone back into the hotel and packed his bag to come home. And as he came down into the foyer, he saw this little boy running around. <laughs> so um it, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of upset and phone calls backwards and forwards, find this child and come, my father had found him anyway, but that could have been very different.
0: The, your, fa- your father had found him?
2: No, sorry, my father. No, my husband had found him. Ah, right. His father had lost him, my father oh. had found him. Oh. My husband, I'm getting mixed up, sorry, my husband found him. But he, John came home and he said, Oh, I'm absolutely exhausted. <laughs> he said, I was terrified because he had heard the news first that this child was missing, you see, before he actually spotted him in the hotel, you know.
0: So yeah. he could have, could have got himself into a bit of trouble, potentially? He could. Mm. He could, yeah.
2: Yes, he could. But he did, he did not like that job. He stayed there until he retired in that job. Mm. Yeah, we met some very interesting people.
0: What an amazing job. I mean, you know. It's kind of a bit of a dream job for some people, I think. Although I imagine it would have been more of a young person's job. It would have been difficult if you had young a young family because you would have been away from home for long periods.
2: Yes, yeah. But it was always only a few nights at a time because it would be a question of escorting them around London, showing them the sights and uh, being with them all the time and then bringing them back up to um uh, up to uh, not Blackpool to Wharton, where they were going to be in talking business, and of course, some of them used to come for quite long periods, and then he had to find them accommodation. Well, sometimes he'd find them accommodation in a hotel where that's where I came in, you see, finding them the accommodation, um, because they didn't want to live on the, an army campsite, and but. Sometimes, of course, John would um, rent a house from the army at Wheaton, at the Wheaton Barracks, which was close to Wharton, uh, and then they would live in uh, officers' quarters there for a few months, really. So there was always the march in and the march out. You know how they do with the military, and that could be <laughs> that could be a bit of a problem sometimes, mm. because a lot of them had these pipes, you know, this moat. Mm. And of course, it used to stain the ceiling, you see, so the room had to be decorated after they left, you know.
1: Oh, you're making me live. Whatever this world can give to me, it's you, you're all I see. I really love
0: you And that brings us to the end of Episode 3, Season 4 of Mondays with Millie. In the next episode, we'll look at the 1970s lifestyle and put Blackpool in focus. Look forward to your company again next week.
1: In rain or shine, you stood by me, girl I'm happy at home My best friend Ooh, you're making me live Whenever this world is cruel to me I got you to help me forgive Ooh, you're making me live now, honey Ooh, you're making me live Oh, you're the first one
0: Mondays with Millie and is an eLearn production. You know editing I'll and dodgy guitar work by yours truly, Phil Cristofaro. Vocal work by I Millie's granddaughter, Neve.
1: I really love the things that you do. Oh, you're my best friend. Ooh, you're making me live. Ooh, you're my best friend.